All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 26th day of June, 2018. Well, first of all, I want to thank John Rubino for hosting this show last week uh, so that Mrs. Taylor and I could enjoy a Viking River Tour on the Danube River. The cruise included visits to Budapest and Vienna and some smaller but very important historical cities along the river, and it ended in Passau, Germany. It was a very enjoyable trip, and it stimulated my interest most certainly to go back and study some European history. Well, I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel, and I want to invite you to keep your questions, criticisms, comments, and praises Sending them along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number for Taylor at gmail.com. And uh, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically uh, viable. Sponsors for this week's show are in resources Balmoral Resources, Bontero Resources, Genesis Metals Corp., Klondike Gold Corp., Northern Empire, and Novo Resources. Michael Oliver was not able to be with us again uh, today, so. With his permission, I am passing along some of his views on the markets, uh, the most important markets that we discuss on this show. First of all, gold. Uh, his weekly momentum continues to be under pressure. However, several attributes tell us, he says, to stay alert to, likely, to a likely upturn. First, the uh, upper weekly momentum standard deviation band, upper red line on his chart, dropped below the zero line. And he knows that that's our method for defining oversold. So in his view, the gold market is oversold from that measure anyway. The second, secondly, he says this weekly momentum trend has evolved into an intermediate trend of uh, of decline ever since January highs and has done so in three waves. Mature age is therefore indicated. Third, he says a downtrend through peak weekly closing readings has been established. A weekly close credibly over the zero line, that's on the three-week average, will be a structural breakout. This week, that means uh, a gold price of 1284.50 or higher. That number will adjust downward, however, during the first week of, uh, of July. And he notes it will adjust sharply downward. So in other words, the bar uh, that is needed for gold to break out will be lowered. So he remains... Uh, uh, cautiously optimistic on gold, uh, positive on gold, uh, and uh, certainly has not yet needed to go to the neutral position that he talked about three or four times since 2016 when he ushered, uh, issued a bullish, uh, a bullish recommendation for gold. 
Now, with respect to the dollar, he says on a weekly basis, the dollar has reached new highs, but on a momentum basis, not even close to breaking out. The very similar story on the monthly charts. The dollar recently hit new highs, but there is a strong divergence to the downside on Michael's momentum charts. This suggests we are about to see near-term weakness in the dollar, no matter what you hear uh, from strong dollar pundits. So, uh, with regard to the stocks, the S&P 500, of course, is what he watches most carefully. Uh, on June 21, Michael showed a weekly chart of the S&P 500 with the three-week moving average being the zero line on his momentum chart. As of June 21st, Michael informed his subscribers that the average for last week was 27.53. And for this week, Michael estimates a key number for the S&P to be 27.67. Then he commented, good luck in holding that level. In other words, he doesn't think it's going to be held. Just after noon today, when I checked the S&P, it had fallen to 27.28. In other words, it has significantly broken a critical weekly structure, according to Michael's work. And with regard to the three-month charts in July, Michael noted that the S&P needs to stay above 26.92 to avoid further breakdown. So it is, appears to be safe for now with regard to the monthly charts. All along, Michael has said he believes this bear market in stocks will be a gradual Chinese water torture type of event, not a major crash. And certainly of all three, uh, all the major key tectonic markets that Michael watches, uh, the uh, stock market has been the one that has refused to decline. It's been the most stubborn um, in terms of entering a bear market. So no doubt that has, has a lot to do with all manner of market manipulation by the Fed. Uh, but finally, even the S&P appears to be breaking down now, very possibly, and the stock market in general. Finally, with respect to bonds, Michael is a long-term bear on U.S. Treasuries and other foreign government debt instruments. He doesn't think this will be caused by central bank policies, but simply by supply and demand fundamentals. In other words, the markets will demand higher yields in order to fund out-of-control budget deficits on the part of governments around the world. However, Michael believes the counter-trend rally towards higher bond prices and lower yields uh, may still have a bit further to go. He warned about that in, my, in May, uh, and especially if the equity markets get weak, uh, he expects some money to go back into the bond markets, and uh, at least initially. Then eventually, uh, both equities and bonds, he expects, will go down in tandem. I do hope and expect that Michael will return next week to the show. Now, some of my own comments with respect to the gold share markets. In the S&P TSX gold share index, back in 2011, it hit 445. Uh, It fell to uh, about 120. It's currently uh, at 190. So, in other words, it's 57% 57 below its 2011 peak. Um, And uh, this is very much the the chart for the S&P TSX, uh, International Gold Index, is very similar to the chart picture for many, if not most, of the stocks that I cover in my newsletter. It has not been an easy several years. We did get a blip up in 2016 a correction that we've now endured through 2017 and so far into 2018. Uh, the, uh, the second half of the year tends to be very bullish for gold. I'm expecting a better second half than a first half that we had uh, so far in 2018. I'd like to make a few comments on some of the sponsors to this show. RN Resources uh, just uh, 
announced some very impressive uh, trench results this last week from a couple of its very large-scale targets in Peru, gold and copper targets. Uh, and it is also getting ready to start drilling on its com- uh, Committee Bay project in Nunavut. Uh, this is a company that shares are down very strongly from where they were. But uh, I think with this drill season coming up and lots of activities, uh, a little improved gold share market and uh, RN could be on its way to much higher prices. Bonterra Resources just announced its friendly acquisition of Metanor Resources, which I believe will be included in an eventual acquisition by Kirkland Lake Mines. And that's just a hunch. I have no inside information on that, but it just seems like a logical uh, move given the interest that that Kirkland Lake has in both of those companies. Uh, I really do believe that we're going to see some very impressive numbers coming out when Bonterra updates its resource numbers at the second half of this year. I think this is a very undervalued stock. Uh, Klondike Gold may be the biggest sleeper among my sponsors. It holds a chunk of land striking some 55 kilometers in the famous Klondike Gold placer fields discovered right after the California Gold Rush. The big news here is that Peter Talman and his team have discovered the structural controls of what I think could well be a multi-million ounce gold deposit. This would be the mother load source for the millions of ounces of placer gold that has been mined uh, since the late 1800s in that uh, in that gold field. Northern Empire is, I believe, on to a major gold discovery in Nevada, and its operating heap leach project is huge. It provides a huge advantage, which allows Northern Empire to evolve into a production uh, status anytime it seeks to do so. Moreover, its heap leach facility has reportedly been the reason why Core Mining is uh, very interested in this company. It's the largest shareholder, and it's uh, reportedly in constant technical discussions with Northern Empire. Last but not least, Noble Resources just unveiled a $15 million budget for exploring its Whitwaters Rand-like deposit in northwestern Australia. I'm expecting more bulk sample assays in the next couple of weeks, depending on the outcome, the grades that emerge from those bulk samples. The stock uh, could certainly be uh, heading to a much higher level once again, uh, perhaps mimicking its rise last summer. Well, that could be some wishful thinking on your host's Uh, part because I do own shares. It is my biggest holding. But I should mention to you that I also uh, hold shares in RN, Bonterra Resources, Klondike Gold, Northern Empire as well. And uh, those are sponsors of this show. They're also recommendations in my newsletter. Now let's talk uh, talk about today's uh, show. I've titled today's show, How Much Longer Can Guns and Butter Diplomacy Last? Excuse me. Jeff Deist returns today. Lobo Tigre, also known as Louis James, returns to our microphones to explore some of the stocks that both he and I cover in our respective newsletters. Since 1971, when Nixon unilaterally defaulted on the U.S. obligation to back its currency with gold, the American empire has expanded through military might um, that was financed with debt-based money while lower classes in the United States have been pacified through socialist policies. The move towards the fiat money, or what Ron Paul quite correctly calls fake money, has enabled the rich to get richer, and it has vastly reduced the middle class in America. While it has enabled America to expand its influence globally, it has also resulted in larger and larger market calamities, with the biggest one, I fear, yet to come, simply because the debt-to-GDP ratio, not only in the United States but around the world, continues to grow larger and larger. In other words, ultimately, the global economy is insolvent. 
As David Stockman has pointed out, Donald Trump's proposed tariffs will not fix the problem of America's chronic trade imbalances. The only thing that can fix it will be a return to an honest monetary system. In fact, the current dollar-backed system requires a constant trade deficit for America so that the currency is supplied around the world in an ever-growing manner. So no matter what tariffs Donald Trump pushes through, it will only serve to anger other nations and businesses inside the United States, but will not serve to fix America's chronic debt uh, trade deficit, which, as I mentioned, as I just noted, uh, requires constant deficits. The Keynesian notion that governments can create wealth by deficit spending is, of course, total nonsense, though it has seemed to, on the surface to work quite well for quite a few years, even though seismic economic events like the dot-com crash and the housing crash have suggested something of a fundamental nature is seriously wrong in our markets. So we'll ask Jeff Dice to comment on a recent paper written by his former boss, Congressman Ron Paul, titled The Dollar Dilemma, Where To From Here? We'll ask Jeff to help us uh, understand and perceive what economic issues lie ahead of us due to the dishonest dollar, the fake dollar, if you will, massive indebtedness and other market manipulations at the hands of our government. We will talk to Jeff Deist in the second half of today's show, but now we need to go to commercial break, after which letter writer Lobo Tegre, uh, Louis James, known to most of you, will share some of his best equity investment ideas that are also some of my own investment recommendations in my newsletter. Don't go away. I'll be right back after the break with Lobo Tigre. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corp. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have back with me Lobo Tigre. Well, that may be a name that most of you are not familiar with, uh, but uh, that is uh, the, pen, the pen name of Lobo Tigre is familiar to you. His name is Louis James, uh, but his real name is Lobo Tigre, and he now is, uh, is working on his own, and he's using that name, uh, and I'm very happy uh, to have him back. Thanks for joining me again, Lobo. Thank you, Jay. It's great to be back on the show. It's really good to have you, and I, I should mention that you've had a, a remarkable uh, background, a, a career with Doug Casey, the legendary investor who I know and like very much uh, as a person. Uh, you worked with him from 2004 to 2018, uh, and uh, you've had a, a really good track record. You mentioned here that the average yearly gain published uh, for the flagship Casey publication, The International Speculator, was 18.5%. Uh, and you are offering uh, people uh, who might want to make sure that you're not pulling their leg. Uh, you're offering them the uh, the ability to um, to. Or you're offering to document for them if there are any doubters out there. I personally don't doubt you. I've known you for a number of years, and I've always known you as a straight shooter. Uh, but in the event there are some people that would like to check you out a little more, um, how can they how can they sign up for your letter? How can they learn to know more about you? Well, I appreciate such a wonderful question, Jay. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so the, the quick answer is uh, the website is Independent Speculator. Obviously, I learned from Doug Casey, the international speculator, and, and I'm doing something similar now on my own. Um, but it's called the IndependentSpeculator.com, and you can find out all about this. But I, I want to stress something on what you just said. The 18.5% was an annual gain. Like if you look at the published gains in the newsletter each year and you average them, obviously, you know, people wouldn't sell on December 31st and buy on January 1st right. every year. So the, the, it's sort of a theoretical gain. But but those sure. are real numbers. You know, that's mm-hmm. what they published. And, and people uh, who want to question that can find that in the Casey archives. I don't have access to that now because I don't work there. So I want to stress that too. The okay. pledge, though, about the transparency and the openness is going forward. And I am putting my own money into the trades that I'm writing about, and I am fully documenting that. For subscribers, you'll see screenshots of my orders to my broker and you know what price, what time, you know what, what shares, how much I put in. It's all there completely documented for my readers. Okay, and the website they should go to is what? Independent speculator.com I know Excellent. it's a mouthful but you know that's what we do <laughs> that's pretty easy independent independent speculator.com excellent all right well I know you're focused on natural resources and mining stocks in particular but uh, could you comment a bit about your investment strategy what is your primary focus uh, is it the precious metals base metals energy or what well, as an independent speculator, my goal is to look for hockey sticks. My goal is to make money. And I have to say, at my stage in life right now, I'm more focused on wealth generation than wealth preservation. 
And I'm aware that those are different things and different readers will have different goals, which sure. can be addressed. But, you know, so I'm basically willing to go anywhere I feel highly confident that I can generate the kind of returns that I'm looking for. And so I am looking to diversify into the tech sector and various different areas where I feel that I have some knowledge I can bring to bear. But what you're saying, and going back to my history, it's absolutely true. My, my, the bulk of my experience is absolutely in the resource sector, it's particularly metals, metals and mining. Um, I'm not sure I really count as an honorary gold bug because I'm, I'm perfectly happy to invest in other things. Uh, sure. But I am bullish on the precious metals. I mean, we live in such a topsy-turvy world these days. I mean, just look at the, the whipsaws that we've seen in the markets, the broader markets this year. Uh, I think it's very interesting now that you bring it up, you know, that gold is under pressure right now while we're seeing increased volatility. To me, that's a screaming opportunity. Um, but I'm also looking at other things, and, and I'm going to be very patient with this, Jay. I, I have to tell anybody who's even thinking about it that I'm not promising to have a great idea every month. Every newsletter is not necessarily going to have some new pick um, because, honestly, you can't have a great idea on a schedule, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm putting my own money you know, into this alongside my readers, and I'm just not going to do it unless I'm absolutely convinced that this is a great idea. That's the criteria. Not a good idea, not a good enough idea. Uh, certainly not an okay idea. This is a great idea, and I want to put my money into it. Um, so you, so that's that's the that's the guideline. Oh, so so you may be somewhat. Um, I guess you're going to be very selective then, which means probably fewer names for people to spend time trying to understand, right? Yes, and you know maybe that's a selling point. I I, I had quite a large portfolio, and I had help. You know, I had people that worked with me to help me stay on top of it. And I actually heard it from readers from time to time, well, it's too much. I can't keep track of all these. And I tell them, well, but you don't have to buy all of them. You know, some of them right. are producers, some of them are explorers. You should pick the ones that work for you. And no matter how many times I said that, I still got that same pushback. Oh, there's too many. Uh, so I started having a top picks list that had, you know, maybe half a dozen or 10, you know, maximum top picks. And people like that a lot. So maybe, maybe that's the model. Instead of having a, a sub-portfolio of top picks, you just don't buy anything unless it's a top pick. I, um, in looking at some of the names that y- you shared with me that you like, uh, that are common with what I have in my newsletter, uh, it, it seems as though it may be that you're a, a bit more upmarket than I am, or, or maybe that's just my impression. Maybe it's just the names that we have in common, uh, and I want to get you to talk about some of those in, in just a minute or so. But sure, uh, would would you uh, would you say that because you are a speculator, so you know, I mean, we're looking at names like, um, oh, uh, Kirkland Lake, for example. It's a very good company. Uh, 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 I think you're looking at Sprott. Uh, you're looking at um, uh, Osisco, things like that. But these are companies that, you know, have bigger market caps than many of them that are on my list. For example, Skeena Resources, I think, is a company that you may have visited. Is that one that you've got your eyes on by any chance? Sure, I understand the question. Let me address the, the yeah. idea first, and then we can talk yeah. specifics as much sure. as you like. You know, what you're putting your finger on is basically, I guess the technical way of saying this is exploration sucks. But <laughs> it's, you know, that's a technical term. Uh, yes. But that's where the 10-baggers are, right? We yeah. love those 10-baggers, those stocks that go verticals, you know, the, the Novo resources last year or, or Gold Quest uh, a few years ago, you know, when somebody makes an exciting discovery and the stock just goes nuts, right? Uh, and exploration does that like nothing else. Um, but it's really hard. It's very hard to predict. 
and you have to cast a very wide net to back to to catch this. So, I'm not out of exploration. I'm I'm not saying I'm not there. But given what we were just saying about being highly selective, I'm being very very careful. And I'll say that as a, sort of a rule, I'm more interested in the prospect generators that have a, a large portfolio of prospective projects and have other people's money paying for the exploration. When you have uh, joint venture partners you know, putting all that high-risk capital into holes in the ground that could come up with nothing, um, that's, that's just the most sensible way to balance risk and reward. Uh, I like that model a lot. So I am looking for exploration plays. I do not have one right now that's like that, uh, mm-hmm. a prospect generator that could you know, go from a couple pennies to a few dollars. Um, I, and I'm, but I'm thinking about that. Of the ones you mentioned, you know, the bigger companies, those are, are, are all just exceptional companies. And if you're bullish on the underlying resources, mm-hmm. then those are relatively safer ways to go. And in between, something you didn't mention is something I'm very keen on is uh, what I think of as the pre-production sweet spot. When I wrote about this in my KC research days, we called it the golden runway. You know, the marketing guys are always asking me to come up with some clever way of saying things. (laughs) Now that I'm on my own, I'm just, you know, plain talk. This is the pre-production area where people are going to build their first mine. And my research has shown that, you know, and I've back-tested this extensively, is that the gains in that time space are much more than most people realize. It's on the order of a double, like between uh-huh. the construction decision and the first pour, that gold bar or copper cathode or whatever it is. Uh, the average company uh, making that transition from, from nothing to production and cash flow um, typically doubles. And, uh-huh. and here's the amazing thing is that most companies that start building mine succeed. I mean, that may sound like a no-brainer. Of course they do. A bank's not going to lend them a lot of money if they don't think they can build the mine. But, but what I'm saying is that there's this little slice of the of the resource sector where you can get both exceptional gains and high odds. Uh, so yeah. that's why I call it the sweet spot. I love that. And so Skeena that you mentioned is not quite there yet. You know, they don't have a construction decision, but it's developing past producing mines. It's finding you know, it's succeeding on the exploration front. It's no longer, in my view, a, a question of is it really an explorer. They they have something of merit for sure mm-hmm. now at SNP, and I think they're going to have something uh, at um, at SK, yes. the other project, because both of these are known. You know, it's 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 not a question of is there gold there. The the old timers that mined them in the past left high grade gold behind because they had extraordinarily high cutoffs. And we're getting too much into detail on one pick. What I'm saying is that I can see this as being one of these pre-production stories in very short order because of where they're starting. So it's not a typical exploration play. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to discuss any of the others, yeah, if you can. Absolutely. I, I love Kirkland Lake as an example. That was one where I got in early. Mm-hmm. I got in when it was new market, when they had just started oh. trading. And uh, I had heard about the crocodile gold story. They bought these assets in uh, Australia, and they were just really good operators. And it looked like an interesting story. And I went and I looked, and this is a hallmark of what I do. I like to go and kick rocks, as the geologists say, at the exploration projects or the mines in question. And I was very impressed by what I saw of the assets down under, in particular the Fosterville mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw high-grade mineralization, not just in narrow veins, but like, you know, broad, you know, several meters wide, to up to 10 meters wide in areas where they had this high-grade mineralization 
that they were tunneling through that wasn't in the model. It wasn't, <laughs> if it's going into the plant, even though they haven't drilled it off it because it's just there. It's on their yeah. way to where they were going. Yeah, so amazing. It, it, was, it was really obvious that this was going to over-deliver. Um, no. And it did, and it, and it just keeps going. That just keeps getting better. And oh, better. I know, I know. So, so that I, was um, that was a ten bagger for me, and uh, I, I, you know, <laughs> and it's it's still a great company, and, and Fosterville is still a star. And if you're bullish on precious metals, you know this is a company that should be a cash cow for the whole cycle, and, and should get a lot of attention. Oh, I believe um, so, and I, it also has some. Uh, some interest in North America as well, and, and some. Oh well, yes, you know. Then you know the merger, yeah. and and they bought Canada's then highest grade producing mine, and so on. So there's a lot more to it. Oh yeah, uh, but, absolutely. You know, great, great, great company. You know, pulling Absol- back to the even bigger picture, you mentioned mm-hmm. Sprott. Yeah. And it's not your typical, you know, little junior that I would invest in as a speculator, hoping hoping for a hockey stick. But you're you're basically backing Rick Rule there, and that's mm-hmm. that's a really good bet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's one of those people you just don't want to bet against. Yeah, and, that's right. And Sprott gives you exposure to just about everything in the resource space. You know, it's hard sometimes to find a great cobalt play that say isn't in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, or or something that gives you nickel or or some other thing that you're looking for. You may not necessarily find something that makes the grade as wow. This is a great speculation, but you get all of that. You know, you get Rick Rule, and you get the whole resource sector uh, in one stock. So, if you're yeah. if you're bullish on resources, if you think we're going into a major, you know, lasting secular bull, which I do, then something like Sprout is kind of a no-brainer. Now, uh, Louis, I have to ask you also, you mentioned technology. You're interested at least in part in technology stocks. I see that Sprott has picked up or has made an investment in emerging uh, emergent technology holdings LP. Uh, it's an equity investment in a gold-related blockchain technology. Uh, have you followed that at all? And if so, would you have any comments about that and what that might mean for Sprott? Yeah, that platform is called Tradewinds. And it's a really interesting offering. I, I have to say, I'm a, I'm a technophile, and I love technology stuff. And, you know, I want to I build rockets like Elon Musk. <laughs> I want to do so many things. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm a tech, uh, you know, a, a tech expert. It's something uh-huh. that I've watched, but I've, I've developed my expertise in another area. So I'm being very cautious here, and I'm not mm-hmm. ready to jump into anything immediately. Uh, and the Sprott platform... You know, I, I, one of the big pluses is just that it's Sprott related, and I know mm-hmm. that, that those people are really smart, and they'll make sure that there's a good product there. But there are other ones out there, and I'm not ready to pull the trigger on one or the other. i got to mm-hmm. be honest with your listeners. You know, I haven't decided that that one or the other one is the best one. But something that combines gold and blockchain seems like a, an, you know, an idea whose time is come or coming. You, know, you have the... The flexibility and the distributed ledger uh, power of that whole idea, plus something solid behind it. You know, one of the problems with with the whole you know Bitcoin and all the cryptos is, yeah, but you know they don't actually exist. Yeah. <laughs> They're just ledger entries. If yes. you can if you can get the best of both worlds, right? The the historical backing of the world's longest running, most successful form of wealth preservation, gold, mm-hmm. and combine that with the power of blockchain um, and, or distributed ledger in general and and facilitate payments and do all kinds of things that these technologies allow. I mean, that, that's a very clearly 
a great idea. What I'm not ready to say yet is, you know, which which is the one that I want to put my money into, right. which is the, the, the one that's going to be my pick in this space. But it's something I'm very closely looking at. Well, fair enough. And one way to play it then would be through Sprott, uh, I suppose, a cautious way of playing it. Uh, Louis, with just about a minute left, that's a minute, maybe we can push it to two. I should mention to my listeners that I think Marisol Resources is one project generator that you are keen on. No, it's not a penny stock right now, but it's certainly one I like a lot. And then I would like uh, I would like you to comment perhaps on Dynacore Gold Mines, which is one that I picked up many, many years ago at, I, I don't know, was it 16 cents or some ridiculously yes, low price? Yes. They've been a good, consistent cash flow producer, but not very exciting. The share price has been sort of a laggard. They do have the uh, Tumi Pampa expiration prospects. And I always reason that if they could fund that uh, through internally ca- generated cash flows. I mean, they have a mere less than 40 million shares out for all these years because they just keep doing things the honest way. They make money and they yes. finance things that way. But uh, what are your thoughts on Tumi Pampa? One of the things that concerns me is this is not an exploration company. It's not a company sure. that has exploration expertise. Uh, so I would just, with, with a minute left, could you just perhaps comment on Dynacor Gold Mines? Uh, from that sure. perspective, or anything else you care to say about that? <laughs> no problem, Jay. And but let me—I can say something about Mirasol easy and quick because sure. yes, they have multiple projects, and this is swinging for the bleachers. These are big, big projects. They're looking for major copper gold, uh, as is typical uh, systems in the Andes. There, if they hit on those, it will be—it will be huge. Um, and I'm very bullish on copper as well as being one of the new energy minerals. So I like that mix. Precious metals, energy minerals, swinging for the bleachers, and great people in Marisol. Mm-hmm. Dynacor, as you say, uh, it may be just sort of the ugly stepchild of the gold mining business. People don't understand it, uh, don't get it. But this company made money throughout the worst of the downturn from 2011 right. to 2015. That may be all you need to know. Mm-hmm. And if there's exploration upside at Tumi Pampa, who knows? Maybe they monetize that instead. Maybe they get you know lucky in the next round of drilling, they discover something. It's pure free upside, whatever they do with it, because the company's making money and they're growing. They have pre-permitted uh, 20% expansions they can do three times. Mm-hmm. So you know that amounts to a substantial increase, and in their production, you know, pseudo production, they they process for other people. It's all very very high grade. Um, so you have oh. a, a moneymaker there that has potentially a surprise upside, but growth on tap no matter what. So, yeah, I like it. All right. We'll have to leave it go at that, uh, Louis, because, or I should say Lobo. I, I'm going to have yes, to get please. used to calling you Lobo. Lobo Tigri, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future. Sure thing. Thank you, Jay. All right. All the best. Well, folks, don't go away because coming up next, Jeff Dice, uh, who is the president of the Mises Institute, formerly Ron Paul's chief of staff will be with us to talk about how much longer can guns and butter diplomacy last. We'll be right back with Jeff Dice. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. 
In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Jeff Dice with me once again. And uh, he's been on the show many times in the past, uh, so you would know him as the former chief of staff to Congressman Ron Paul. But more recently, in the last uh, few years since Ron left the, uh, the, the Congress, Jeff uh, is now the president of the Mises Institute and doing, I think, a very spectacular job. I've been to a couple of his events, and he just does such a great job in presenting and discussing various topics, so I'm really pleased to have him back with us again here. Thanks for joining me again, Jeff. Hello, Jay. Good to talk to you. Always good to have you with me. You know, I've titled today's show, How Much Longer Can Guns and Butter Diplomacy Last? And then you and I had a little email back and forth this morning, and you mentioned that Ron Paul has recently written an article, The Dollar Dilemma, or I think you you mentioned you took it from a speech. uh, The title of his speech was The Dollar Dilemma, Where To From Here?, uh, and uh, I would like to start out just by reading a, a quote from Ron Paul in that, in that uh, article. Uh, he said, and I quote, uh, It's a fallacy to believe the U.S. has a free market economy. The economy is run by a conglomerate of individuals and special interests in and out of government, including the deep state, which controls central economic planning. Now, Jeff, you know, when people talk about the deep state, many people scoff at the notion of conspiracy. Uh, but as an advisor to Ron Paul, you most certainly uh, had a front row seat to what's going on in Washington. Can you can you help our listeners get a sense of how the so-called deep state works on Capitol Hill to destroy? Well, yeah, sure. The deep state isn't deep or hidden. It's right in front of us. It's the administrative agencies, uh-huh. all the various departments and the alphabet soup agencies that are part of them. It's been growing. It grew exponentially throughout the 20th century. And we all know these Department of Agriculture, Department of Defense, Homeland Security, et cetera, et cetera. So there's nothing deep about it. The only thing deep is that there are lots and lots of people who work for those agencies, millions actually, who belong to federal unions and don't come and go with various administrations and have their own agendas and don't much care who the president is or who the cabinet secretary is. 
and uh, pursue things as they wish. And we've seen this many, many times. It's impossible for the president or his cabinet members or even all of Congress with all of their committees and their oversight. It's impossible for all these people to know day to day what's really happening in the administrative agencies, like the Department of Education, for example. So as a result, they've run amok with their own agenda. That's what bureaucracies do. And there's nothing conspiratorial about this. It's just the Mm -hmm. nature of bureaucracies. So what we've got is a bunch of people who have a lot of power, but who aren't voted into office and don't come and go every four years. So it's a it's a terrible situation, and it's it's caused uh, the federal government to become largely unaccountable to the average guy or gal because your only recourse against administrative oversight, excuse me, ad- administrative overreach, I should say. Mm-hmm is to sue them in federal court, which is great if you're Mark Cuban and you've got 10 years and a few million dollars for lawyer fees to try to salvage your uh, reputation against the SEC in his case. But for the average person, that's not a viable remedy. So they are in effect, again, no conspiracy, but they are in effect lawless federal agencies and they do what they want to do. And there's not much you or I could do about it if, for example, uh, the EPA comes onto our farm and says you got to divert this river, um, yeah. and that's just a fact. Yeah, it's it, it. Well, and what they're doing, uh, of course, is really uh, messing up with the free market. I mean, they're not, they're not allowing the markets to work freely. They are passing laws, or not even passing laws. They don't go to that trouble. They, as you point, they have this. As you point out, they have this enormous power to just simply declare new regulations, right? Well, Congress doesn't have the expertise to govern all the things it wants to govern. Yeah. You could never write laws that could that could imagine every possible what if or every possible factual scenario. So as a result, the people at the administrative agency has have an awful lot of power to either uh, color it between the lines by drafting regulations or uh, just interpreting the statutes and the regulations in, in the way that they see fit. So really... Congress, you know, imagine trying to pass a law um, that would deal with everything foreseeable in uh, land and water usage in the West. It's impossible. So, So we've given administrative agencies the task of uh, filling in the gaps, and they've uh, taken that task up quite greedily. And uh, it, as a result, we're in a mess, and even Trump can't do much about that. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly uh- – you know, you mentioned the agricultural agency, but uh, Ron names four powerful agencies in his article uh, that can secretly do almost anything they wish to protect the monetary elites. Uh, and uh, I, so, in other words, I think from the perspective of the of the economy overall, it's my impression that Ron would suggest that some of these agencies are probably more powerful and hence more destructive to the free markets than others. Um would you care to comment on that? I think he mentioned the Fed, the Treasury, the SEC, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission were the ones I believe he mentioned in his article. Well, sure, because no matter almost any business practice you're involved in, you want to raise capital. And if you want to become a public company or if you want to deal in commodities, you're going to have to deal with these regulatory agencies. So they're very, very powerful. But their power pales in comparison to the Fed. We have to understand that the Fed, in effect, not directly, but indirectly, controls the value of dollars, 
can make them worth more or less relative to other currencies and relative to goods and services. And it, it also controls the price, the cost of those dollars. In other words, interest rate is the, is the price you pay, the cost of borrowing money. So basically half of every transaction is, is not governed by market principles. When you go buy a Honda Accord, um, you're studying the quality of the car, but it's Honda studying the quality of the dollar that you're exchanging for it. So when we say we have a free market economy in this country, we have to start with the premise that, well, half of it almost by definition isn't free because it involves payment in dollars, which are ultimately controlled by a central planning agency, which is which is in practice and in theory no different than having the federal government control wheat or auto worker wages, or uh, you know how many um, barns should be built this year. Th- things that Soviet planners and Soviet commissars used to do, and which we would screech at rightfully, as uh, as Soviet, mm-hmm. as central planning. But that's exactly what we do with one half of our economy, which is the dollar that mm-hmm. we're buying uh, goods and services with. Well, Ron refers to uh, the dollar as fake money. Could um, <laughs> could. Could you explain uh, what, what he means by fake money and, <laughs> and what would be non-fake money? Well, paper money used to be a certificate. It used to be a certificate for which you could redeem in actual gold or silver. And the reason paper money arose is because in order to do business uh, in a rational way, it was awfully difficult to literally carry around bags of gold and silver coins and try to make change and all that. So we came up with money substitutes in the form of nice, lightweight, transportable paper, but it was never intended to be money. And if you look at early U.S. dollars, they even say redeemable uh, for for an actual dollar. The, the, the dollar bill was just a certificate to go get that, sort of like a claim check you would get at the opera for your coat or something. Uh, so when... The link between the U.S. dollar and gold was severed first in the 1930s uh, when U.S. citizens were no longer able to redeem physical, excuse me, redeem U.S. dollars, paper dollars for physical physical gold. And then finally, ultimately, in 1971, when foreign governments, central banks, foreign actors, etc., were no longer able to redeem U.S. dollars for physical gold. Then at that point, there was no longer any connection between the underlying what we would call commodity money and the dollar itself. So it became fake in the sense that it's like monopoly money. You can just produce it at almost zero cost. And yet magically, this thing that you hold in your hand, paper, is supposed to be worth uh, exchanging for actual stuff, you know, physical goods and services. So that's that's what he means by fake in that context. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly then that fake money can be created infinitely by the Federal Reserve, which I guess really makes it the most powerful of those uh, of those agencies that you're talking about. Um, but so endless amounts of money can be created since 1971. It, it allowed the United States uh, to set up a dollar-based system, a, really backed by petroleum. It was a petrodollar a system. Uh, in his article, though, Ron mentions that there are some threats to the existing dollar system. Uh, would you care to talk a little bit about what might be threatening the U.S. dollar right now? Well, there's no question. The number one threat is congressional spending, deficit spending. Uh, (laughs) The rest of the world can take a look at us and say, you know, these guys always, always, always spend 
way more than they bring in in taxes. And, and they use this money to fund wars. They meddle around the world. They build uh, aircraft carriers and jets and all kinds of things. And yet they still have this big uh, entitlement structure at home. And they're never going to get their fiscal house in order. So even though since the Bretton Woods Agreement and, and because of the Bretton Woods Agreement, because of the petrodollar arrangement, we have to have dollars to clear national transactions, to buy oil, to do all kinds of things in the world economy. You know, we're worried because the people issuing them are so profligate, they don't have their own fiscal house in order. So it's, uh, I think the, the biggest threat to the dollar is that the rest of the world knows that we are never, ever, ever uh, going to stop spending beyond our means unless we're forced to. And so that's why I think cracks are showing. That's why I think there's a, an interest, especially in the eastern half of the planet, in physical gold and holding gold again. And that's why I think there's an interest in cryptocurrencies because people don't have a lot of faith in Western governments and especially the American government to control their currencies. They know based on history and based on our temperament that when things go wrong, we'll just crank up the money machine. That's what we'll do. That's what we did in 2008 when the uh, stock market crisis hit. So uh, they're being entirely rational in, in the, the world, the economy is being entirely rational in trying to find ways to hedge against uh, what the, the day when or if the, the dollar starts to fall. Yeah. Of course, uh, you and I see that. Ron Paul sees it. People that follow uh, Austrian economics are aware of it. But I dare say that most PhDs in economics that come out of Princeton, Harvard, and Yale are oblivious to this. It seems to me they're almost indoctrinated not to see this. Uh, obvious uh, logical uh, relationships that you're talking about. Um, and Ron mentions that rigging the economy, and I'm quoting him here, he says, rigging the economy is required to prevent market forces from demanding a halt to the mistakes that planners continuously make. Uh, this deceptive policy can last only for a limited time. Ultimately, the market forces proves more powerful than government manipulation of economic events. Uh, and he mentions in the article things like the consumer price index is manipulated. It's, it's clearly it's something we've talked about on this show frequently. Uh, putting a ceiling on the price of gold, he mentions uh, that the, uh, the certain interests are controlling and, and manipulating the price of gold. That's another topic we've talked about on this show as well. Uh, through the massive paper uh, futures markets, uh, completely, uh, I think more gold is uh, is traded in, on paper than than is mined in an entire year. That in one day, more gold is traded in paper than mined in an entire year. And of course, the biggest one I think is the suppression of interest rates, which is really uh, not allowing price discovery for capital, the cost of money, if you will, as you, you alluded to it earlier. Uh, but why? How, how can you know? The, the point is that people, the, the wool is pulled over people's eyes. They say the consumer price index is only 2% or something like that, when in fact it's probably 6 or 8%. Uh, how, what is going to cause, the, I mean, the cracks you're mentioning, there are cracks in the global economy, in the markets and so forth. What, where is the breaking point? What, what is the tipping point that will cause this whole thing to, you know, for people to finally wake up and rebel against this fake money? Well, in the short term, let's say we have another stock market crash or another uh, commercial real estate crash, which I think we're ripe for, or a housing crash or all kinds of things. And I don't just mean in, in America alone, but in the West. Yeah. 
I think in the very short term, that actually strengthens the dollar because just like in 2008, it's perceived as the least dirty shirt in the laundry. And while there's some uh, flight into probably precious metals and commodities in the event of a crash, there's also some flight into dollars as mm-hmm. the rest of the world says, gee whiz, what should we do? Uh, mm-hmm. But I think what happens long term is that the, the, the people who buy U.S. Treasury debt, including the Fed, including the Social Security Pension Fund, including uh, to, to a lessening extent some Asian central banks, uh, just say no mas. And, you know, the, the lie is finally exposed when the only real market for U.S. Treasuries is our own Fed. Uh, the right. lie has already been exposed in Japan, where the Bank of Japan is actually buying uh, Japanese public companies' equities and, and holding those on their balance sheets to prop them up. So nobody's nobody's uh, kidding themselves anymore what, what that process really means. It's state capitalism writ large. Um, you know, and how did how does that look? I mean, we that's just it. We can't know. We can't know if it looks like uh, a bubble that pops, and there's a lot of really, really uh, unpleasant uh, economic fallout right away, or if it's something that just slowly over 50 or 100 years unwinds. I mean, we Jay, we might look at the UK and say, mm-hmm. as an economic power, England probably peaked about 100 years ago at the beginning of World War One. Mm-hmm. And it's been all downhill ever since in terms of its superpower status. That said, 100 years later, England and the UK are still a better place to live than uh, much of the world. They're still Western first world places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we can't always uh, assume that, that the world is going to look like Mad Max. Yeah. But the, the bottom line is that we could be a lot more prosperous and we could be a lot more stable and secure with respect to the future, no matter what happens. Even if we stay relatively rich compared to the rest of the world, that is alone is not the issue. The issue is is what could have been, what we might have had if we had any kind of rational fiscal policy in, in terms of Congress uh, not creating more and more debt every year, some sort of rational monetary policy, and most of all, actual, real, live interest rates, paying people to save money Mm -hmm. and accumulate capital, which, frankly, people under 50 in this country don't even remember. These these newly minted PhDs, brilliant as they are, uh, are, are like... They're like jet fighter pilots who are technically proficient, but they've never they've never flown the jet in bad weather or nighttime. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's really a bizarro world when we disconnect interest rates from saving. And if we're not saving money, if we're not accumulating capital, then we are expressly devouring the civilizations, the civilization that our that our grandparents and great grandparents bequeathed to us. And we're we're basically shrugging and giving up and saying. I'm going to live today at the expense of tomorrow. Jeff, with just about a minute and a half left, can you explain why gold is so important in returning us back to a free market system? Well, some kind of real money is going to have to emerge uh, when fiat currencies go the way of the dodo bird. We don't know that it will be gold. It could be cryptos. It could be other things. It could be silver. But what we do know is gold has never, ever become worthless in the history of man. You can, as Ron mentions in his article, you can dig up an old Spanish ship and find a bunch of gold galleons on it from hundreds of years ago. And they're still worth a a lot of money today. So, um, you know, it's durability and and the fact that humans have always valued it weighs strongly in its favor that it will 
uh, continue to be a form of money, whether it's banned by governments or not, and that if there's a crash or a crisis, it'll become the form of money. Yeah. Well, certainly it's an article that I think people listening to this show would do well to read. And Jeff, they can pick it up, I think, at uh, at the Mises website, right? And and where do they go for that? Mises.org. Yeah, Mises.org. Uh, it's posted there. It's also posted at the lourockwell.com website. And uh, you have a weekly uh, interview as well that's posted at Mises. Uh, do you know who your guest is going to be this coming weekend? Yeah, this week we're talking to a great Spanish uh, economist named Daniel Lacaye. He's really great on all things Europe. And if you want to keep up with the show, just follow me on Twitter at Jeff Deist, J-E-F-F-D-E-I-S-T. That's fabulous, Jeff. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future, I hope. Okay. All right, folks. Well, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, I expect to have Richard Mayberry with me. Uh, this time, I hope to discuss how trade wars uh, increase the likelihood of hot wars as well as other related topics. Uh, Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonterra Resources, an advanced exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade gladiator gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. Over the last 12 months, Bonterra has raised over $60 million and has attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource in the second half of 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000 meters of drilling, where the dimensions of the Gladiator deposit have been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under the symbol BONXF. Oren Resources is a technically driven, capital-efficient exploration company focused on delivering shareholder value through accretive project acquisition and discovery. The company's management team has a record of success in the discovery, advancement, and monetization of exploration assets. Oren's focus is on advancing its seven premier gold exploration projects located in Canada and Peru. Oren's shares trade on the TSX in Canada and the NYSE American in the U.S. under the stock symbol AUG. For more information, please visit orenresources.com.